What we have done is, is we've broken that into cohorts, as Pastor Brian is so proud of uh, calling it, uh, because it is cohort instead of groups, means a group of people banded together for a certain cause. And, and, and that really does, obviously, pertain well to us as Christ followers. Amen? So, um, so if you are, there's five cohorts, it's A through E. And, and basically what we're doing is, is every week each cohort has a t- uh, an opportunity to be here in person uh, and worship with us in person. And then everyone else obviously is tuning in from home live and hopefully um, understanding that we're just limited. And so we thank you all for being part of this and, and the patience that you've had through all of this and obviously the support. Continue to pray for us as a leadership team as we sort of navigate through these times and, and work with what we have. So uh, obviously God is in control. He is sovereign. And so our job, it, it makes it more important individually, not as not the leadership team, but us individually as a church. And, you know, each of us needs to dig a little bit deeper and really look at our personal relationships, uh, our personal relationship with Jesus, our personal relationship with each other, and, and who we are in the context of our Christian community. I think that's really important. This is a, there's no better time than now to sort of really look at this and, and how this is supposed to work, especially in times of, of challenges like these. So uh, we are continuing to do our midweek service here. Our midweek service starts at 6.30 p.m. in this room right here. And, um, you know, again, we have the same guidelines, you know, up to 25 people. We ask everybody to continue to please wear their masks and socially distance, obviously. But um, what we're doing is, is if we get to a point where we start going over the 25, and that seems to be something that people want to do instead because you can't come on a Sunday, you want to come on a Wednesday, which you're more than welcome to do, we'll do the same thing. We'll break it up into a couple of cohorts, and then that way everybody can sort of partake or participate in that. So uh, please feel free to, to reach out to me or Jeff Torres uh, or even Pastor Brian if, you, if you'd like to get involved or attend on a Wednesday night and we'll make that uh, happen for you. So uh, we have an update with Emma and Renzo, our, our uh, missionaries to, the, to Guatemala. Um, so far we have raised $2,100 uh, to help them. Now as uh, you all know, they've been down there through a very difficult time with earthquakes and a lot of danger happening down there, and yet they continue to go out in these dangerous places and minister to people and meet their needs uh, and live um, with reckless abandon for Jesus Christ, which is such an awesome testimony um, for us to, to witness. And so it, it's our privilege uh, as a church body to invest in their ministry, but also to invest in them personally. And I think a lot of times, you know, we forget that when uh, some of these missionaries they're putting their whole lives into this. Um, this isn't like a job for them. It's a, it's a life for them. And so they um, had, were fortunate enough and excited when they got their home. But the one thing that they were lacking in their home is furniture and appliances. They have nothing. They're literally living in this home with nothing in it. And they're not, uh, if you know them, um, and if you've seen them share here, you know that they would never complain. Uh, they would never, you know, beg for, you know, help with this. This is something that they're just trusting the Lord with. And so Pastor Brian got kind of wind of this, and uh, as, as he should have, kind of rallied the troops uh, with the leadership team. And he's also asking the church, if you want to contribute to this cause, if you want to help Emma and Renzo, uh, uh, Emma and Renzo personally, 
uh, let us know. It's not too late. We sent out money. Money is being sent out this week. This week. So if you want to contribute to that, doesn't matter how little or, or how much, um, I'm sure that they would be extremely grateful. Money, our money does go a lot further down there. So every little bit uh, can make a huge impact. So if you are feeling led, please let us know. You can also give online if you go to the South Coast website. So it's sccc.org. And there is a giving tab there and also through our app. And you can, you know, um, note that if you'd like. So just let us know. And please, you know, if you feel the Lord leading you, um, let's get along, come alongside of them. So uh, before I pray and begin the service, I just wanted, today is the first day of Advent. And so we have our, our candles up here. And usually we'll have a, um, a kid come up, or one of the children in the church, or young people to light it. Um, obviously because we are limited and because I'm like as tall as a kid, I'm going to do it today. But um, I just, today's candle is, is hope. And so, you know, there's, there's so much power in hope. And one of the things that I've learned, you know, through my own journey, um, I can tell you this, that when I was completely broken and shattered and at my wit's end, um, and just didn't want to live uh, anymore. The only thing that kept me going was hope. Um, I saw what Jesus had done in Pastor Brian's life and a few other friends. And, and my hope was is that he could do that for me too. That he could breathe life into these dry bones, if you will. And, um, you know, there's, that's, that's the power of the gospel. You know, as we come into this Advent season, what we need to understand and realize is that this is all about the hope of the coming Savior. And so that's a really good place for us to be this morning, right? Is to just live in that hope and that understanding. The world right now is deficient in that area. You know, we've become hopeless as a society, and we've started to put our hope in the wrong things, whether it's politicians or policies, political movements, um, all these things, material things, our jobs. And what ends up happening when we put our hope in those things is, is we end up empty in the end. And we end up right back where we started, hopeless, wondering, empty. And so when we put our hope in Christ, what we can, uh, what we can do is, is we can rest assured in the fact that a sovereign God has everything under control, even when everything seems completely chaotic. And so, whether that's in your life, personally, individually, or globally, God is sovereign. He's sovereign over us individually, and he's sovereign over us entirely. And so let's put our hope in him this morning. Amen, church? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to light the hope candle. It is child-proof, this lighter. So I apologize if I have a hard time with it. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with hope. And we thank you, God, as your word says, that your hope does not disappoint. Father, that hope in you, God, is what restores and transforms not only individuals, but societies. Father, you turn this entire world upside down, Lord. And Father, we are called to be your ambassadors. 
We're called to be light in the darkness. And Lord, there sure is a lot of that right now. Whether it's uh, ugly presidential races and elections or a pandemic. Father, there's so many reasons for us to be frustrated or hopeless or fearful. But God, when we put our hope in you and we know and we trust that you're in control, we can take heart. We can have courage. We can rest in your arms. So Father, today, as we begin this Advent season and the promise of the coming Savior, I pray, Lord, that you rejuvenate us, that you invigorate us with that hope. Father, that you fill us, God, with this passion, this desire, and this love for you. We have friends and loved ones who might be struggling right now who don't know you. And so, God, they need to see hope in us. Lord, they need to see that we won't waver. That, God, through that hope and that surety and the birth of Jesus, God, that nothing that happens around us will shake us. Things are going to happen. It says, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart. Because Jesus has overcome this world. And so in him and through him, we can do that today. We can take heart. Some of us are fighting battles right now, personally. And so God, as pastor preaches about not giving up and persevering through these trials, Lord, I pray that it speaks and ministers to each of our hearts, but especially those who are ready to give up. Father, that they would find hope in you, that they would find perseverance and courage in you, that they would be able to stand up, Lord, and allow you to carry them through all of this. We, we serve a great Savior, a living Savior. Let us not forget that today. Let us not grow weary. For in due time, we will reap a harvest, God, that you have promised to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I know that's a, uh, it's an empty, it feels like an empty room, but we're here together, right, in spirit, united in Christ. We know there's folks watching at home, and uh, does anyone ever get rebuked by the Lord? You know, I'm talking, Jamie laughed, he's the only one. And I'm talking about, you know, you kind of you're going through your, you know, your, your prayer, your thoughts. You're kind of talking to the Lord, and then he kind of smacks you upside the head a little bit, right? So we preached last week, and the message was entitled, Don't Give Up. And we've talked, and we've preached, and we've, you know, we've poured out our hearts about making disciples and about pressing in. And so a group of us, we went, um, the building committee, and we looked at some land. And as you know, we're trying to find a church home. We're trying to find a permanent location, and so, you know, we looked at some land, and, and I found myself as I was, you know, driving home and thinking, and I was kind of, you know, talking to the Lord, I was saying, Lord, it would be so easy. I can't even imagine to just show up at church and, like, flick a light, and then you're ready, you know, you don't have all this work, and I said, and it, right away as it came out of my mouth, as I said, Lord, it would be so easy I kind of got this, and then 
deep in my spirit almost immediately. So who told you that ministry was supposed to be easy? Who told you that ministry is supposed to be comfortable? And I found myself immediately going, you keep talking to everybody. You keep preaching about growing in our intimacy with Christ. And yet, here you are. Now, I'm convinced that we need a building. I'm convinced that that's the best strategy for us to be effective in our ministry. But please, don't make the mistake that I made, which is assume that the reason that we want to make decisions in our spiritual lives in the church is that it's going to be a little bit easier or more comfortable for us. Let that never be why we make decisions. Because as I sat there and I was thinking through this, I thought, our goal is to make disciples. Comfort does not produce effective disciples. It doesn't. And when I'm going to talk to you about persevering and not giving up, I'm not really good at anything. Like, I don't really, you know, like some people, like, they talent, you know, they play music or they, you know, they sing or they, you know, they draw. My family's artists. I don't really, like, have talents. Real. I've just persisted. I just haven't given up. I know what it means that when you fall down, you just got to rise again. I get that. That's all I've been able to really do well with Christ. And I want to encourage you from the bottom of my heart as I preach this sermon that our test, our test, our struggles will become testimonies. Those things in our past, so those things we are currently going through, are the very things that God is using in our lives to draw us into a relationship with Him. And the tendency is to us to always choose what's more comfortable or the path of least resistance. And yet challenges make the best disciples. You know, some of the most mature and complete Christians I know have some of the most broken, ugly, destructive past. I mean, the Bible is filled with those stories, right? Because if you're in this room, I think that we tend to look at the things that disqualify us. Jamie's going to be preaching next week on Jeremiah, and I touched on it, and I'll touch on it again. But what does Jeremiah do immediately when he hears the call of God? He figures out all the reasons why he's not qualified. All the things in his yesterday are going to block his tomorrow. Are we going to, church, allow our yesterdays to stop us from our tomorrows in the Lord? Or are we in the struggle and we want to quit, we want to give up? Please don't give up. Hold on. And if you need help, please ask somebody. Don't ask for, don't, you know, wait till you you, you hit the bottom. You know, ask for somebody when you're struggling. Reach out, ask for prayer, ask for support. We've all heard this, you know. This is a good reminder that the saints of old were a messy bunch of people, amen? You read the Bible, you know, people think like biblical people like... No, they blew it over and over and over again. They made huge mistakes. And so we've heard this list, but I think it's a good list to be repeated. To remember. If you think God can't use you, that Noah was a drunk, Abraham was way too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, right? We've heard this list. Jacob was a liar. 
Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy had an ulcer. I didn't even say anything. Why are you looking up here? I, I let it go, bro. You brought that upon yourself. Timothy had an ulcer. Paul was a Christian killer. Lazarus was dead. And here's, here's to me the most, the most offensive at all, the most grievous of all. All the disciples fell asleep while praying and ran away when Jesus really needed them the most. Every single one of them. And they could have been like, man, like, at our moment of truth, at the time when we were supposed to stand, we, we dispersed, we gave up. And that could have been the end of their story, right? They could have just been like, we had a chance. Because all, we all have those stories, right? We all have those times where we just, like, let God down. We disappointed him big time. And some of us in this room, some of you, your life, the way you look at your relationship with God is you're convinced that he's disappointed in you. So what are we going to do now when Jesus needs us, when the world needs us, when they need to hear the gospel? Are we going to fall asleep or are we going to run away, church? Because when I say don't give up, it is for us. I'm saying don't give up to you to encourage you and you walk with the Lord so you can experience not, not an easy life, not no opposition, but you can experience the blessing of obedience because that's all you get. And there's no better blessing than the blessing of obedience, when you know you're obedient to the Lord, and you can take whatever opposition and whatever difficulty comes, because at the end of the day, you can stand and say, I'm obedient to the Lord. And that is all we can do, but that is everything we can do, and we can do it together, and we can do it with Him. And so, yes, it's about you being encouraged, you not giving up. But it is so much bigger than you and me in South Coast. It is about those people that need to hear the gospel. People that are living in fear and disconnected. And at a spiritual and emotional and relational deficit. People, this, like we already had a huge anxiety problem in the country. Huge, huge anxiety problem. If you look at any studies, any psychologist will tell you, especially with, if, I'm, this is data, with 50, 60 years. Especially with teen girls, it's like a 180% increase and anxiety and suicide and all these things with the whole population, but particularly the most vulnerable to self-identity, things like that. That is destroying a generation because people, people are disconnected. They don't have self-worth. They don't know Jesus Christ. And so, yes, it's about you for a minute, and then it's not about you. It's about the next generation. It's about your neighbors and the people that don't know Jesus. So I, wanna, I want a building. I still think that's the way to go and all that stuff. But let us not be that kind of church that says, I want to make decisions so the experience of Christianity can feel better for me. So I can produce. I, can, I, can, I mean, I can consume instead of produce. I can come and I can get what the church has to give me. I can show up and take and then I can leave. When the purpose of this is to show up to be equipped to give. 
That's what we're called to do. So don't give up, church. Because there's no plan B. You've heard me say that before. God's plan for redemption is Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no plan B. And people need the hope, the promise that can only be found in Christ. Can the worship team come up? And if you want to stand, I'm going to pray for the sermon now. We'll transition to worship and then we'll talk this morning a little more about not giving up. Father, we are here in your presence for your purposes, Lord. Father, I ask you now that you strip away any expectations in us of what this is supposed to be. We are simply a people gathered together in the name of Jesus to worship you and to be fundamentally changed by your power and presence. And so we meet you here. And we ask you to have your way. Do whatever you need to do, Lord. We want to serve you. We want to make disciples. We want to create communities, healthy, life-giving, Christ-centered communities, Lord. And so that's why we're here. We worship you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Change our hearts, God. Break us where we need to be broken so you can heal us in a way that only you do. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, church online, now that we have a, a definite one of those. I was thinking before, we have uh, people on the North American continent and the South American continent and Europe and Africa, at least that I know of. So if you're watching and you want to just drop where you're watching from so that we remember that our, our global family is uh, bigger than just this, so it's such a small room and so little of us, but there are many, many, many of us. Amen? So as we're here today, I hope that um, our hearts are just focused on our Savior, that we're here to worship Him, and that we can lay everything aside. Amen. Savior 
thousand times I failed, a thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace, everlasting. Your light will shine, no less fate, never ending. Your glory goes beyond. Give him praise. We worship you, our King. You will above all else. You will above all else. My purpose remains. The art of losing myself and bringing you praise. Everlasting, your light will shine. Justice and praise 
no fear. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. Praise you, Lord. Sing it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, 
important that we remember what's important. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within with the way things appear you're looking into my heart and I'm coming back to the heart of worship it's all about you all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I made it it's all about you Oftentimes it's not about you. And so, Father, help us to instead make it all about you. So, Father, be with us here now in this place. Have your way with this word, God. Let it penetrate our hearts. Let it change us from within. 
Let it motivate us to live for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You got me with the audio? Does everybody hear me okay? Seems a little low. We're good? All right. You know, as I was just sitting, standing on the side here and praying and thinking, you know, whenever you, you preach a sermon, you want a response. And so just sitting there thinking this word, you know, what do I want my response and my heart to be? What do I hope for each of you, everybody listening? What would, what would we determine that this was, was received? And if it's, it's, if it's applied. And I thought to myself, there have been so many times in my life that I've given up. And I've said, you've heard me before, and we, we keep quoting it, that we don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. And that was born out of an experience of going, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I give up. This is the end. I'm done. And in those moments, God meets us and he says, no, this is, this is not the end. This is the beginning. And so sometimes we do everything in our lives to not give up, to maintain some sense that we have this control that we never had. And so my goal this morning is that you say, not the way we kind of say it, which is I just give up, which is kind of like a pity party, like, I give up, but I really don't. I'm really not going to give anything up to the Lord. I'm going to continue to spin my wheels and, you know, shift some things, but I haven't really given up. So my prayer this morning is that each of us actually give up. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you've been around church your whole life and you've never really given up. Because the gospel, receiving the gospel is giving your life to Jesus, acknowledging and saying, Lord, take my life. That's what it is. I know the American church has made it something else, but that's always what it was supposed to be. Is receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior and saying, take my life. Not some of it. Not even most of it. But all of it. And continually, moment by moment, doing that. And so if you've never surrendered and never given, given up, I pray that in a real practical, tangible way, that you hear this message and you don't just say it was a good message or you know, emotionally it moved you in some way, but that you say, this is the area in my life that I'm going to surrender to God as a result of that word from Jesus. Because there's not a single person in this room that that's not what he's asking us to do. That he's not saying right now in your life, in your context, in your relationship, in your marriage with your children, in your struggle, whatever it is, that there is a place that Jesus is trying to meet with you and me, and we're too distracted to see it right now in our lives. You are going through things, and I am going through things, and Jesus is crowded out of that space because we think we can handle it, and we can't. And so I pray with my heart of hearts that you don't just say that, you know, that was a good message. But that you find that place that Jesus is asking you to surrender to him. Because I'm sure, I'm sure that a lot of us have those places that we haven't. And some of us maybe have never, maybe even never have heard that. I believe in Jesus. I've always thought Jesus was who he claimed to be. I've never not believed who Jesus was. Good, that's good. But have you given your life to him? And if you've given your life to him, when's the last time you took it back? 
Because this morning, I think what he's doing in this place is he's saying, give it back. I know it's hard. I know you can't see it. I know it might not look the way you think it should look. But that's the call, right? Obedience to Jesus. Surrender to him. It's not anything different. That's why we're here. I don't ever want to be just another place to go to on a Sunday morning and we have a nice building and then everybody shows up like it's a McDonald's or a movie theater and they, they receive their little nugget of, of, from the Lord and then they go out and we just sell little pieces of the gospel. I want to be a community of radically changed Christ followers. That's what I want to be a part of. That's all I want to be a part of. And I pray that the Lord doesn't allow this to become something it was never meant to be. So I want to begin by looking at perseverance. There were a few more points I wanted to make that I didn't get to make last week before we head into looking at the life and ministry of Jeremiah. Pastor Jamie will start us off off next week with that. So I want to recap and conclude. Because as I said in the introduction, your test will be your testimony. Not might. Not perhaps. It will. Those things that you think are the ugliest, most difficult, most you know, tragic parts of your life, the Lord will use those places if you let him. He'll heal you, and in that healing, he'll provide ministry. He'll provide an experience that you have that you can connect with people that only you've connected with. You know, we have this sense that it's always the leaders or the pastors. I remember getting a call one time from somebody, and they were going through a messy divorce, and they wanted me to counsel them. And we had a leader at the time that had been through a divorce. And so, you know, I had, had suggested that they meet with that person instead. And they were like, well, no, you know, I want to meet with you, pastor. And I'm like, well, okay, but I mean, I'm, I'm telling you as your pastor, this person, but no. No, I was the pastor. I was the expert. This was, you know. And we get that sense sometimes, it's like, no, we're a community of Christ followers. Jesus is the expert. Yes, maybe some of us, maybe our gifting is in teaching, and so maybe there's a little bit of a different function there, but we are together students of the gospel, of Jesus, of the Bible. We're learning together and growing in Christ. And so your test will be your testimony, the things you're going through, the things that sometimes we don't want to face, the Lord wants to meet us in those places. And we said last week, yet those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like, with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Not they might. Not perhaps. But if we put our hope in the Lord, we will be strengthened. So who are they? Those who put their hope in the Lord. Those are the ones who will be strengthened. We said last week that perseverance, continuing the good fight, me not giving up in the loss of my father, my addiction, the struggles in my marriage, all these things, me not giving up, me persevering, was my persevering was giving up. I was saying, all right, I'm I'm," like, I literally, I mean, I don't know how else to express this, and I know some of you guys have heard it again and again, but some of you maybe don't understand. Like, I was done with life when I showed up at Teen Challenge. Like, I wasn't like, oh, this place is going to save my life and I'm going to fall in love with Jesus. And I, That wasn't it. That wasn't the picture. This wasn't this guy whose life was broken and was going to go meet Jesus to fix it. That wasn't it. I was, I was a dead man walking. I didn't have, we talked about hope. There was no hope. 
I was dead. I was a zombie with glossed over eyes. I didn't think I would ever stop getting high. I didn't think I would, I would live much longer. I had hurt everybody that loved me. My family, my wife, everybody. I remember my father telling me one time, he said, you know, if you want to destroy your life, just go move away and do it somewhere. We, we don't have to watch you because you're destroying our lives too. That was the ugly picture. And, and I tell you that because we, we, tend to sensitize, we tend to sensitize things, right? But it was ugly. It was ugly. And in that place of me going, I am done. I don't even want to be alive anymore. I'm all set. Jesus met me so profoundly in that moment. And I thought, my God, he's real. My God, he's real. There are churches filled with people who I don't think they've ever once in their life saying, my God, he's real. This isn't just theology. This is the truth. This is living and active and transformational and powerful truth. This should shake us to the core. We shouldn't encounter Jesus and the word of God and not be profoundly changed, wrecked. I am wrecked again and again by the word of God. I just, I just, scripture, I just say, Lord, just take me out of this thing. I am so inadequate. I should not be, I, there's got to be somebody more qualified. Like I said a couple weeks ago when we read the scripture about why does the road that leads to destruction, I'm still convinced that at some point they're going to go, oh yeah, we messed up. You were on that wide destruction list. Because I'm so convinced that that's where I belong. But Jesus doesn't think so. This is, this is real stuff. When I sit here and I preach, don't give up, I'm not preaching that to you from not having the experience of really having to reconcile the fact that everything inside me wanted to say, I give up. And in fact, I did say that. It's just Jesus met me in my surrender and I didn't anticipate that. So when you look and you see anything that happens, any good at all from this ministry anything at all, that remember that that is all the result of somebody getting to the place where they were so broken and so ready to give up that they gave their life fully. Now, I didn't, I didn't do that, oh, look at me, I did that. No, I have to do that moment by moment, day by day. But you can't sit here not having done that in your relationship with Jesus. And then say, I wonder why my ministry is not effective. I wonder why I don't feel close. I wonder why God's not showing up. I wonder why I don't want to read the Bible. And he's saying, you're still doing it all by yourself. Give up. Because it's about walking with God. It's about getting to know him in the process. It's about being blessed by his presence in good times and bad. He is a real strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. He doesn't leave us. I'm going to let you down, Pastor. Jamie's going to let you down. Your spouse is going to let you down. Your boss is going to let you down. You're going to let yourself down repeatedly. 
everybody in your life is going to disappoint you. Your economic situation is never going to be enough. No matter where you are, no matter how educated you get, no matter what you accomplish, no matter what you achieve, you will feel fundamentally disconnected, disappointed, without hope unless you know Jesus. Because the Bible doesn't say apart from Christ there is some hope. You might be able to discover it. There is no hope. Paul says if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, we are of people to be most pitied. People should feel bad for us because we're in the same place everybody else is in. It's just we're deceived. That's pitiful. That's pathetic. If the resurrection weren't a true historical fact that split history in half and will absolutely split our lives in half as well. I told you last week that I see this as a season of preparation for us. Because we want to do ministry. Like, this is the joy of my life. And I, I, told, I told you last week that they're not mutually exclusive, that if we minister to you or we minister with you, or, but that that's the primary function. In other words, the invitation is, hey, come alongside. Come, come with us and let's make disciples together. That's the invitation. But we're, we're at a different place. Sometimes we need to be... We're soldiers, we, we're wounded, we need to be cared for and loved and encouraged. But the goal is for us to move forward together and do his work. To all give in, receive in a natural, healthy community where you're encouraging me and I'm encouraging you in Christ. In John 16, 33, and Pastor Jamie mentioned it as well, I've told you these things. Jesus is like, look, the words I've spoken to you, I, I've tried to reassure you, I've tried to explain the reason, listen to what Jesus is saying, this is God, he's speaking to us and he's saying, the reason I told you these things, the reason you have this knowledge is not just so you know more, but so in me you may have peace. Jesus is saying, everything you know about me Everything you believe about me is so your, 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 your character, your personality, your fundamental, your, your humanity will be profoundly changed by my presence no matter what's happening. If you're experiencing loss and difficulty and challenge and struggle, it doesn't matter what that looks like. Because in me, Jesus is saying, you'll have peace. I mean, we just read that. Like Jesus is like, all right, I told you all this stuff so you can have peace in me no matter what happens. And we glanced over that promise like, eh. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Or be encouraged. I've overcome the world. In other words, have an eternal perspective. This is temporary. When we read last week, Micah 7, 7 through 8, which I love, beautiful scripture. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I love that phrase. Who cares what my neighbor's doing? Who cares what, you know, I, I get it. I mean, not that who cares. That's not what I mean. But you know what I'm saying. Like, we're so focused on what everybody else is doing. But as for me, you know what we got to do? We got to stop ourselves. We got to ask ourselves, what's my but as for me? Because I'm all worried about how my, you know, what my wife's doing and what my, you know, everybody else. Everybody's, what about as for me? This is what I'll do. I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will hope in him alone. 
I will wait for the God of, sal- of my salvation. My God will hear me. And though I fall, I will rise. Though I fall, I will rise. We said last week, it's not about the falling, it's about the rising. The word spoken last week to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Again, different, different specific call, same general call to all of us. Before you were born, every one of you, the Lord knew you. Before you were born, every one of you, he set you apart. If you're a child of God, you were set apart, you were chosen. And before you were born, you were appointed as a prophet to the nations. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. You speak the truth to the world, to the nations, to all peoples. We're still, that's still the appointment to every one of us. This still holds true. Created for a purpose. To glorify God. To preach the gospel. We said last week. And this is, you know, this is the stuff that as I'm, you know, at the same time I'm like talking in my head about it would be nice to design this building. And, you know, and then I'm reading at the same time I'm, I'm preparing a sermon. I'm reading about Paul and how Paul's like, yeah, I was imprisoned over and over. I was flogged, beaten, pelted with stones. I was shipwrecked. Not, not that I want to quit ministry, but I'm like, I'm complaining because, like, oh, it'd be nice if we had a building and, you know, I can put the AC on and put the lights and some music and I could light some candles. Like, what? Like, the Lord's going, wait, wait, what? Are you, right? Like, it seems so obvious that we fall into that. And again, I'm, I'm, I, th- I think we should get the building. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes we get it all all warped, like I want my experience of church, I want my experience of Jesus to be palatable to me. I don't know, I just don't see that in scripture. I don't see any correlation between if you serve me faithfully, life will be comfortable for you. I don't see that anywhere. Point it out. I mean, you can point it out if you, if I'm, maybe I'm mis- misunderstanding. Because I know a lot of people think that. Like a lot of people right now are preaching a message that says, just give your life to Jesus and he's going to work it all out and your marriage is going to... And, and does God do some good things? Yes. Is he a good father? Yes. Does he have some promises? Yes. Does he bless us? And sometimes that's materially and all that? Yes. But that's all secondary. Or, or not even second. That's like tenth on the list. You think the blessing in the stories of Job is that at the end he got all his stuff back? You think if any, you think of a thousand people asked Job, hey Job, what was the highlight of that? He would have said his stuff to any one of those, th- those thousand people. No, you know what Job would have said? Despite it all, despite it all, I had my relationship with the Lord. Despite it all, despite my questioning, my uncertainty, my anger, my being upset, my distrust of my friends, my wife, everybody in his life turned him down. Everybody in Job's life gave up on him. It's like one of the most discouraging things in Scripture when you see when Job's wife, she look, you know, she kind of comes up, and Job must have been like, you know, okay, my friends all have bad advice. Like I've lost everything. This is a disaster. Oh, hey, honey, did you bring me a cup of coffee while I'm sitting here in my little pit of ashes? You know, this. Did you come to encourage me? What did she say to him? You, why don't you curse God and die? Imagine that. Thanks for the help, mate. What did he do? He went through all the emotions of a human being. He, he you know, pushed back in this wrestling, and, and the Lord had to rebuke him because he asked all these questions of the Lord. 
And I know sometimes we do that, and it's okay, you can do it. He, you know, he, he can take it. Sometimes we're so afraid to approach him. But sometimes we need to say, Lord, I want to know why. I demand you answer me. Sometimes maybe he'll give you insight, comfort. And other times he'll probably say what he said to Job, which is, who are you to ask me that question? And we've got to be okay with that. We ought to be okay with trusting and the sovereignty of grace of God when it doesn't look like we think it should look. Because sometimes things go better. I mean, there, there's definitely a, a, a logistical or a, or a practical application of when you make better choices, godly choices, life's going to go better. So there's that. But the promise of comfort or wealth or health or prosperity is not in Scripture. Not there. Or if it's there, it's incidental. That's not the promises in something other than the blessing. You know, what the, you know what the greatest blessing that we have is the presence of Jesus Christ. Is that we can come into the presence of a holy God despite ourselves because of the blood of Jesus. That's the blessing. Nothing else. Everything else is just, doesn't matter. You think on Christmas when I open the gifts that my family gives me, I look around and I say, oh, the, the values in these gifts. I mean, sometimes they're the good ones. No, just kidding. No, the values in the relationship. The values in looking and saying, wow, look at, look at, what the, look at the, the relational blessing. And so Paul tells us in Galatians 6, and I think Jamie read this as well. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Are we tired? I mean, you can be honest, it's a little bit. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I believe, again, I said this is a season of growth, of preparation. So that each of us, not just me, not just Pastor Jamie, not just the leadership, but each one of us can be better equipped to minister to our neighbors, our communities, our friends. Therefore, verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And so James is a book about practical Christian living. And we, and we read last week a little bit about James and we focused on the first few verses. But there's a couple more things I want us to kind of draw out this morning. Because James was also written to a culture and a time that was not popular to be a Christian. And I know we kind of look at that and we say, you know, well, you know, it was different then. And listen, it's never been popular to follow Jesus. There's been varying degrees of persecution, but it's never been a popular decision to abandon yourself for Christ. And if you've given your life to Jesus and everybody around you celebrated that, I would question, the, I would question that reality. Because most of the time, it's going to immediately cause conflict, starting in our own lives and relationally when we live for Jesus. So yes, we know, James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And we said that that first century, it was used for a characteristic of a person who's not swerved. In other words, that word meant... This, was your, this is what you were going to do. You had decided. You had set your, your heart and your mind upon that. And there was no turning back. It was that kind of commitment. And that's what that word means. So we're familiar with those first few verses. But I want to just go through the rest of it. Because in verse 4 it continues. Let perseverance finish its work. Because when we're persevering, when we're hanging on, 
The Lord is working in our lives in this situation so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I know we've preached before, and so I don't want to spend too much time on that. But we all want to be mature and complete Christians. We just don't like the process. We want to bear the fruit. We just don't like when the vine's pruned. It's okay. We don't have to like it. That's the process. We just have to submit to it. Because the Christian life is about being made into the likeness of Christ. Nothing else. The Christian life is about me being made into the likeness of Jesus. And so that happens, if we're honest, more in the midst of our difficulties. When we struggle. And so we have a decision to make. We have sort of a, there's a, there's a, there's a crossroads. We can run towards God or we can run away. Verse 12 said, blessed is, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. Will receive the promise of the Lord. So that's why we persevere. We persevere to receive the promises of God, to be eternity-focused. I mean, that's really all you can do. You can keep moving forward, or you can fall back. You can retreat. And I know for some people that's attractive. Attractive, You know, I don't know how many times, and people, you know, that have been around Teen Challenge or around recovery ministry, they'll see it. I don't know how many times I've seen a guy facing five years in jail, or, you know, like two years in the program, and he'll go, I'm going to do the five years. Because it's comfortable. Because he can get everything he wants. Because it's what he knows. And it's a heck of a lot easier to do five years in your past, to do five years in prison, than to do a couple years in the uncertainty and the, and the, the fear associated with giving your life to Jesus. But if we choose to run away, if that's the choice we make, because some people do, James deals with that too. In verse 13, when he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's, that, that means that we're given an opportunity, we're given a chance to run away or to persevere. And when we, when we fall back, when things get tough, we like to blame God. Joseph could have blamed God. Peter could have, you know, the Bible's filled with people who could have said, it was your fault. I mean, that was right away in the garden. That's what you see. Oh, you gave me the woman. Oh, you, you know, it's, it's always, oh, the snake. It, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. And so that's what James is saying. No, no, no. Verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. We, we focused a lot in the beginning of James, but James is kind of taking us down a path. And he's going, we want you to persevere so you can be mature and complete. The alternative is that you walk away. And if you do that, don't you dare blame God for you doing within your heart you wanted to do. We, we got into this a little bit, and you, you can't help but get into some of these deep theological things. When we were talking on Wednesday night, the idea of, of, of perseverance and of free will. We are free toward our inclinations. So we are free to do what our heart deepest desires. That's the truth. And so unless Christ intervenes and changes the desires of our heart, so... James is saying here, it's a deep theological truth. He's saying, look, 
You're, you're going to do what you want to do. That's why C.S. Lewis says no one will be in hell who didn't ultimately choose to be there. You are free toward your inclination. You're, you're, James is saying the Lord's going to give you over to your own desire. And don't blame God because you're, you're getting what you wanted. So it's important that, again, we focus on this considerate pure joy when we, when we face trials and we kind of glance over the rest. And he's kind of taking us through the whole, you know, how this is how it's going to look. He's going to say, look, I know how to persevere. I'm telling you, this is how the story should go. But here's a fair warning for you. You are responsible. And don't blame God if you don't trust him. James is saying, if you do, you're doing what you want to do in your heart. And then he transitions in verse 19 to this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, pastoral tone. Like, listen, pay attention. Take note. Everyone should be quick to listen. I was talking to somebody the other day. My daughter was around. We were in a room. And we were, somebody was saying something. And she said, you're just listening to respond. You know, right? Have us, you know, somebody's talking to you and you're listening, but you're not really paying attention. You already got your response and you're already ready. You're not really, you're not really listening like husbands and wives do that a lot, right? You're, you're having this thing and you already got everything you're going to say. Don't just listen to respond. Don't just listen to counter-argument. Listen to listen. Boy, you know how much, you know the, the practical application of how much better our lives would be if we just learned to listen more and speak less? Could you imagine it would be revolutionary? Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James in this first chapter is cutting through everything it means to be a real church. He's not, he's not pulling any punches. He's not sugarcoating it. He's cutting right down. He's gonna, these are the steps. This is what's going to happen. Don't just listen to it. Churches are filled with people who can recite all kinds of scripture. Know all kinds of stuff. Listen to the word. Recite the word. Recite the word. And, and James is saying, don't just do that and deceive yourself. Don't think because you know the Bible that makes you a Christian. Do what it says. Live it out. This morning, churches are filled with people who can recite scripture, who know Bible trivia, who know facts about Jesus, people who've built great things in the name of God and they've given all kind of money to the church and all that stuff. Especially in New England, there's, there's families that have been histories. You know, you go to, I've been involved in churches in New England. It's like, oh yeah, my family, you know, four generations ago, they've been, it's like an institution. That doesn't necessarily have to be bad. But oftentimes it is. Oftentimes churches are about a whole bunch of other stuff. And people are deceiving themselves. And James saying, look, do what it says. Because there are people who may be very, very far from God in their hearts and they may be, may be sitting right on the side of you. And then James, you know, this, this, this is not like uh, you read this and it makes you feel good, right? James it says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. 
And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What's the illustration there? Say, how foolish would it be to tell everybody that you're a Christ follower, to keep using the word Christ follower, and then to be in some kind of context where you completely forgot that your identity is Christ follower. That's the picture he's, he's presenting. So difficulties, where to keep going. What we know is right, the next right thing we said. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, I don't have time to delve into that as much as I would like to. But James is going, if you look into the perfect law that gives freedom, just the phrase, a law that gives freedom, is a theological truth that we could spend a lot of time getting into. It's repeated throughout Scripture. The law what brings us to a place where we acknowledge our inability to do anything at all. And only through submission to what? That set of facts to saying, I know that the law is good. Like Paul said, I know that this is perfection. I don't argue with it. In fact, I delight in it, like David said. And yet everything in my flesh is fighting against that. And Paul has this whole back and forth thing, right? I keep doing all the stuff I don't want to. But he doesn't give up. He persists. He says, but thank God for Jesus Christ. That's what we all should be saying at the end of our list of, yeah, but this struggle, and then this marriage, and then this happened, and then I was in this, but thank God for Jesus Christ. That's a promise. They will be blessed. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. And that's why I said, you know, sometimes we show up and we just have, we just need to be ministered to. And that's Okay. But I'm telling you, just because I've experienced it a million times, the truth is that if you show up and you're willing to serve and you're willing to bless others, you'll find the blessing in that. It's always the case. And in those moments of, of ministering to other people, I don't know how many times I found my situation where I would run into somebody whose situation was so much worse than mine, and yet they had some joy about them. And it would be like that rebuke again, that the Lord going... Don't be a whitewashed tomb. Luke 6.45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of his his heart, his mouth speaks. See, you can't be filled with anger and bitterness and jealousy inside without having that come out. Some people are always gossiping, right? Always talking about someone else. Or they're always complaining. They're never happy. We should pay attention to what we say, but also to the people who spend the most time with what they say. Sometimes people just need to, you know. And then James said this, look, religion that God our Father accepts. So the, this system, this, this if you want to call it that, this, this system, you know what it's supposed to look like? If it's acceptable to the Lord, if it's genuine, here's what it's supposed to look like. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. That simply means take care of those more vulnerable than you are. Take care of those who are less well-off than you are. That doesn't mean you go, I don't really know any orphans and widows. I guess I don't have to do anything. And keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We love to complicate everything. You know, we love to make it 
so many things. And so many times the Bible says, love God. Love God with a love that's so big, that's so all-encompassing that it overflows. And the love your neighbor is not something you consciously have to do. It's something you can't not do because you're so in love with Jesus. But we make it about so much other stuff. And, and being in love with Jesus, it, it, it's tied into understanding who he is and what he's done. And that's why I said that surrender, that forgiveness. If you acknowledge like I did, if you come to the end of you and you say, man, I, I'm just so desperately in need. I was sharing the other day with somebody, and I think, I mean, this is sad and beautiful at the same time. But there was a woman, and she was talking, and she wasn't a Christian. She was an atheist. And she said, you know, the one thing that you Christians have that I am the most envious of. And that's always an interesting, I'm like, well, you know. this. And she said, forgiveness. She said, I don't have anybody to forgive me. And I thought, man, what a, what a deep understanding. That Because that's what happens in the garden. Right away we, we realize, some of us, don't, we don't have the language for it. Maybe we haven't outwardly understood it. But something deep down inside of us is wrong. Something is off. We know something's just not right. And this woman said, I know that I need to be forgiven. And I have no one to forgive me. And so if you realize that Jesus comes because you and I fundamentally need to be forgiven to be made into a relationship with Jesus, and you can't come to a relationship with Jesus with that understanding and not give it all to him. You can't. You can come to Jesus with a, with a faulty understanding. But if you know, if you really know who he is and what he did for you, then how could you say that you can have part of this? How could I say, broken at the end of my life at Teen Challenge, when the Lord lifted me up and started to breathe life into me, how can I say, I want to take this part back from you now? I know you went to the cross for me. I know I should be dead, and not only did you rescue me, but you're setting me toward new things. But I want to now withhold from you part of what you bought on the cross. Our lives are not our own. They are not our own. Not anymore. And if you don't believe that and you don't understand that, then stop there and, and reconcile that. Come to terms with that. Because the invitation is to give your life up for the Jesus who gave his life up for you. Care for others. Don't let the world corrupt you. Don't be polluted. Ruth was sharing the other day, and I, I was encouraged by this. And it's... it's Maybe I'll talk to Pastor Jamie and some of these other points we can get him to preach in his sermon or we'll do it another week because I'm, it's all right. But yeah, the worship team can come up and I'm going to share these, these last few comments. It's good because I think, you know, this, the Lord's speaking to us. And, but Ruth shared with me the other day and I was so encouraged by that. She said, you know, I tried to take like just like 30 days and be like hyper vigilant about everything that she put into her, herself. Like any music, any TV, any, anything she read. Just like take it 30 days and just be conscious of like, you know, there's so much junk that comes in. 
And she said, so I just wanted to take, you know, 30 days or 40 days and just like be, you know, every little thing and see what difference it made. And I thought, I don't even know if I've ever done that. I mean, that was so encouraging to hear. And what a blessing. And I'm sure, you know, she, she shared a little bit about how the Lord showed up. But, I'm, you know, I'm sure in that process it wasn't easy. And I'm sure, you know, you get all distracted. But I'm sure it was a blessing, too, to be able to so, what, what is so desperately needed, to disconnect from all the distractions. I mean, I don't even know if I could do it. I'm always watching, and I'm, I'm going to just, like, full confession, right? This is therapy for me. You guys know that, right? This is... It's cheaper, but I'm always up here confessing. But I'll always be watching something on Netflix, and my wife will be like, is that good? And I'll always have like 10 reasons why it's not so bad. You know what I'm saying? I'm just being honest. Because I'm like, well, honey, if, like, if, if I didn't watch like language, like you can't even put cartoons on now, right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what are you supposed to watch? But I'm always, I'm always trying to find excuses. Like I heard somebody say once, if, if I wouldn't tell my kids to do it, I shouldn't do it. And I thought, <laughs> you know, you could really make a case for that, couldn't you? I mean, the stuff that we say, no, that's not good for you. Well, why? And how is it good for me? And what do I say that? To, to say that I want you to all feel bad? No. I'm saying that what a, what, a, what a heart for Jesus to say, you know, there's so many things that distract me. I want to take this time and I want to be hyper vigilant about what I allow to influence me. I don't want to get on a whole nother topic, but we don't understand the way things are changing and influencing the, how we behave. Hold on tight to Jesus. Press into him. You know, as we look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a young person, and the Lord said, I got a plan, I got a call, and Jeremiah said, here's all the reasons you can't do it. And the Lord basically said, shut up, I command you, do it anyway. And then he does it. And it's hard. And it's lonely. And everybody's against him. And he wants to give up. But he persists. And the promises of God unfold through us when we persist. Think about it like that. How incredible is that? How amazing of a privilege is that? As we get to be part of someone's story, of that ongoing gospel narrative that continues to be written. About, this is the way I was living, and this is how things ended up. And then I met Jesus, and I was never the same. Everything changed. My whole world got turned upside down. And here's the thing. I'm just being 100% honest. I wouldn't have it any other way. It scares me not knowing what the Lord's going to do tomorrow the next day. I, I'm afraid. I'm not pretending that I'm not. But man, he, he just shows up. He just does things. And I just go, Lord, I would have never, never seen it this big. And this beautiful. Not this easy, but this much of a blessing and being part of his work. We get invited. We get invited to be part of the story of the redemption of the world. Don't sit on the sidelines complaining about how everyone else is doing it wrong, about how it's not comfortable or optimum for you to do it at this time. Just surrender. Jesus is just looking for people that go, all right, go ahead, take my life. And you will be, a, you will be amazed. 
I've never, I've, I've had conversations with hundreds of guys, if not thousands over the years. I've never had a guy come back to me and say, you know, you told me to surrender my life to Jesus and I did it. And man, I wish I never did. But I've had conversations with hundreds of guys, hundreds of guys who said, man, I wish I would have just listened. Maybe I would have still had my marriage. Maybe my kids would talk to me. Maybe I wouldn't have got arrested that second or third or fifth time. I pray that as the worship team closes us that you prayerfully consider not if, not if, but where the Lord is asking you to surrender in your life right now to him. Please stand as we close. So this song, um, God woke me up with this song this week. I haven't heard it in like 10 years. So I took it as a sign that we all needed to sing about his amazing grace. Those of you that don't know, grace is something that God gives you that you do not deserve. It's not like he's letting you borrow something. It's not a, a good little good luck charm. He pours on righteousness. And he takes away your sin. It is a really big deal. And so I hope that you guys celebrate this chorus. Hallelujah, grace like rain that falls down on you. He just lets it fall. Amen.
Lord, you are worthy. God, that you gave up your life here on earth, God, so that we could make a way, that you could make a way, God, for us to be with you. God, what love, such love you have for us. God, with this wonderful opportunity you've given us to see life for what it is, God, and see all this materialism for what it is, God, let us just bow down evermore at your feet, God, and give up everything we are. There is nothing worth holding on to in light of you, Jesus. God, let's just remember that this is just passing. It's just a vapor. It's just, it only matters where it matters to you. And Father, just give us the courage to lay down all of our garbage and all of our baggage and our luggage, God, and know that it isn't worth a thing. God, a life with you is a life worth living. Father God, I ask that you reach out through these internet waves, God, and just touch every single heart. God, everyone within the sound of my voice, God, just to feel you, Lord. And for the, they know, God, that you are near. God, give us the courage and the, and the wisdom to just sit and listen for your still small voice. God, and know that there is no fear in you. There is no uncertainty in you. And I thank you, God, that we belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.